Welcome to Teacher Formation. I'm Monica. And I'm Erin. Uh, we're going to join you today for a conversation about trauma-informed teaching through the lens that we normally chat about these things, thinking from a Catholic perspective and also kind of bringing research into our, our daily practice as teacher educators and teacher coaches. Great. So this week we're going to discuss a piece uh, from the website MindShift and it's focused on trauma-informed teaching with a specific focus on distance learning in this COVID era that we are currently living in. So of course, we'll share a link to the article in the show notes below. And I'm so glad, um, Monica, that you shared this article with me because while I've been aware that you know trauma-informed um, teaching is obviously a, a, a thing and an area of study and an area of practice that's um, connected to social emotional learning, I don't really know much about it. Um, and especially in our changing times uh, or in our COVID times, I should say our virtual learning structures, um, I think it's becoming more and more important. And I also find myself curious even as a parent. So not only as a teacher who's trying to help, you know, teachers build classrooms, but also as a parent. And also like what this means for us at, if we um, are considering that we might encounter more traumatic responses in the future. So this seems to be one of the bigger ones that our, our kiddos and our, our teachers have had to deal with in recent years. So I'm just excited to learn more about this in general. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a super important topic. And I, I want to be clear that there is a lot of research out there on trauma-informed practices uh, in terms of counseling and teaching. Uh, and this particular article that we're talking about really just scratches the surface. This is meant for educators to think about applying some core priorities that are consistent with trauma-informed learning, but the article really doesn't talk much about what trauma-informed teaching really is or why it's needed. So there's lots of other places you can go for good research about that. And maybe I'll um, bring a few extra links into the show notes too for those who are interested in learning more about trauma-informed practices in general. Um, the basic idea of trauma-informed learning is to use the idea of trauma as a lens with which to view students um, that they may have experienced some adverse childhood experiences um, such as poverty, uh, homelessness, domestic violence, all kinds of things that may have contributed to some experiences of trauma that they've had. And that trauma, especially in young children, can impact the brain development and put students into a state of toxic stress that can then have implications for their cognitive functioning and for their behavior. And so a trauma-informed perspective on teaching really takes that, as I said, as a lens to help teachers understand and empathize with where students are coming from based on potential trauma they may have experienced in their past. And this article just talks about how um, in distance learning, there are some core priorities we can focus on to ensure that we are respecting a trauma-informed approach to learning. And so the, the priorities that it talks about are um, giving students predictability. And that's important because in a lot of times, if students have experienced some source of trauma, then there may not be much in their environment that, that is predictable. There might be a lot of uncertainty in their environment. So they wanna, you want to, as a teacher, foster some sense of predictability to help them feel more stable. The second core priority they talk about is flexibility in that um, they, 
students may have different needs depending on what kinds of trauma they've been through and how they're experiencing that trauma. So we want to have a flexible approach in terms of meeting their individual needs. Connection is the third core priority and that's important because a lot of times students who may have experienced some trauma feel disconnected from other people. They don't have a sense of belonging. So you want to be able to foster that for them. And then the fourth core priority is empowerment. And that talks about how many times students feel like they don't have much control over their situation when they've experienced trauma. So you want to empower them to feel like they do have control. So those are the priorities that it talks about. Erin, what were your thoughts on this piece and on those priorities in general? Yeah, I think what's interesting to me um, are thinking about these, these four priorities, certainly. And I don't think they're divergent from what we encourage teachers to think about when they're planning for instruction. Um, I think what's different is, is really looking through that lens. And, and the article said that, um, or wanted to remind us that trauma is a response, not an event. And I think that's really important to think about when we're thinking about things like flexibility, which you mentioned, being flexible to depending on a child's response to a perceived situation and to, to an event in, in the world and in, in their own personal lives. Um, and then also that connection piece, right? So I think that this idea that we're considering the response um, of each individual, not necessarily naming the event at, um, itself. So that, that really got my brain my brain thinking. I should say too that I think this piece is relevant right now because there may be many students who are experiencing the COVID pandemic and everything surrounding, surrounding it and the disruption of school as traumatic. So yeah. this could be a source of trauma. Surviving this pandemic or having, you know, family members who are really impacted by it, loss of jobs, loss of lives, right all of those things could be perceived by students as traumatic right now. We don't want to label them and say that everybody's right. experiencing trauma, but I right. think that it's fair to assume that all students are experiencing some level of trauma associated with the coronavirus pandemic right now and the disruption of life and school. So I think it's important that these priorities really are essential for all teachers and all students right, right. now. Right, and at the forefront of our minds um, it, for this reason right now. And I think especially with the um, flexible nature um, or maybe just the inconsistent nature of the world right now, right? So these things where we're in school, we're out of school, we might not yet be back at all. Um, we might be hybrid, which means something different in every space that we engage in. So it might mean something different on our soccer team. It might mean something else in the classroom. It might mean something else at mass at church. So I think like thinking about this, these, all of these priorities are gonna be important, I think, um, as we continue to view life in the coming months and especially teaching in the coming months. I think when I'm thinking about working with teachers really specifically and when I consider these priorities and I thought where I'm noticing them, I think this, the one that uh, most resonates with me and that I can really see in my teachers and in the work I'm doing most recently is this idea of predictability. And you just spoke about this now so eloquently and you and I talked about this over um, back in the spring when our teachers were just transitioning to a virtual space and how important it is to have that routine and, and predictability for our students, for ourselves, for the families that we interact with, um, the parents and guardians of the children in our classroom. So, and I, I think I just want to add that we can and should think about um, also this concept of shortening our timeline as teachers. Sometimes we get caught up in this idea of we have to have predictability, this long-term plan and meeting all these benchmarks when I think maybe we get through the week, right? And maybe we get, or maybe we get through the day 
we, we focus on the day. Let's shorten that timeline so that we can be predictable in that way rather than trying to guess a scenario that's going to be unlike any other situation um, that we've been in. So being incremental ourselves, I think, and then also letting our, or helping our students see that they can be incremental too. And that we don't have to worry about next year yet. Let's worry about next week first. Yeah, I think that's important. I like that. I like that idea of shortening the timeline. Um, you know, I feel like, especially when this pandemic first started, there was a lot of talk about once we get back to normal, once we get back to normal, or is this the new normal? And I just, yeah. I think that kind of long-term thinking about what is normal, I, I think it's okay to feel like this is not normal and this is not permanent. And so thinking about it in terms of shorter increments might be really helpful. We can predict things for a day and for a week, uh, but maybe right. long-term and that's okay. Right, right. I mean, and there's something to learn there too, right? There's something, there's something to learn about that or about our teaching and our work then too. I mean, I think it's, we're going to have some valuable lessons here too. And I think you and I will be able to talk about that at another point in time for sure. Um, I'm curious about your work here though too. You brought this article to my attention um, and then had been saying that you've been doing some PD around your area in this um, around your, where you live, around your home, in this area. So I'm just wondering, like, what you're hearing from teachers, what, what their response was to, to this, this, these priorities or to this idea of trauma-informed teaching. What are you hearing from, from those in the field? Yeah, well, I did. Um, I had the opportunity uh, at the beginning of this school year to talk to teachers in several different schools about um, taking a trauma-informed approach and about using these priorities in their in their teaching this year, regardless of whether they're in person or online uh, and how that was going. And I, I think one of the, the, the priority that sparked probably the most conversation and discussion with the teachers was the one about connection. Um, and especially in Catholic schools, I find that this is something that teachers really do a really good job of. They know how to connect their students. That's why they teach. They right. love their students. Right. And they, in, in elementary grades in particular, they talked about all the ways that they foster community with their students and that they build connection. And unfortunately, many of those ways, like giving kids hugs right. or pats on the back or a pat on the head or even a big smile and facial expressions are really challenging this Limited. year because of protocols in place, mm -hmm. right? Whether they are distance and they're, you know, have to keep six feet apart and they're wearing masks and they can't see their faces, or right. if they're on a screen and they are just interacting, you know, with their faces in a box instead of being able to have that physical presence. Um, teachers are worried about that. They're, they're concerned about how they can build community in creative and innovative ways when they can't do all the things they've relied on in the past. And even, you know, being worried about how to group students and right. let them do centers and share materials. It's right. so much of the physical part of school right. is very difficult this year, you know, understandably. Right. So I appreciated teachers thinking creatively about ways they can still get that kind of community, still make students feel special, um, you know, having them give themselves a hug with their arms across mm -hmm. their chest, right? You know, I or, get a lot of kiss your brain. Yeah, pat give, brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, give yourself a pat on the back for yeah. me since I can't do it. So creative ways that they're trying to build that connection and even things like, you know, having a star of the week type of thing, getting to know students in a different way, letting them have opportunities to uh, share, their, 
their lives with their peers. So yeah, I think that's, again, I think that's just something that teachers are really concerned about this year, but also that they're responding to in creative and innovative ways. Yeah, teachers are so resourceful. I, I mean, I'm hearing a lot of what you're hearing, especially with the connection and the connectivity. Um, especially with small group work. So I, I work in elementary and especially in elementary reading. And it's, it's harder for teachers to do that right now. Different dioceses and schools and districts are allowing teachers to meet in different ways or some not at all. So having to restructure pedagogy in order to touch base with kiddos um, on a more individual level is harder, but it can be done. And I've seen teachers just like you do it in some really smart and thoughtful, thoughtful ways. All right, so we covered the first two here. We've covered predictability and connection, but there are two other priorities that I think we should um, make sure everybody hears about here. One is flexibility, and this is, this is a conundrum a bit, right? Because we're telling you to be predictable, but then also be flexible. So they, they sort of seem at odds, I guess you would say, with one another. So what do you, like, how do you reconcile this yourself, and how are you helping teachers understand how to be both predictable and flexible? And then after that, we should talk about empowerment. Okay, great. Yeah, the um, yeah, it does seem like a little bit of a, a hypocritical here to say to be yeah. predictable and flexible. So the way I'm interpreting this is more like we can provide for students um, a predictable set of factors for them, right? Like we can give them an right. agenda, we can set a routine, we can have predictable procedures, we can be a, have a predictable caring adult presence in the room right. or on the screen with them. So we provide that predictability, and that's really important to help them know what to expect at right. the table. It almost sounds like you're like a structure. Right, a predictable right. structure. And then at the same time though, we can exercise some flexibility in how we respond to students, to their actions and to their experiences. Again, using trauma as a lens so that we see when they're acting out, instead of just predictably giving them a consequence for their behavior, we look to figure out the root cause of that behavior and we have some empathy and we try to collaboratively problem solve with that child to, um, to, to give them what they need instead of just responding with a, you know, an inflexible type of a, a consequence. So we're being flexible in terms of meeting each child's needs. We can also think about being flexible in terms of, yes, we have this structure and this routine, but we're gonna also pick the priorities for learning this year, especially if we're learning you know, asynchronously or online, can we give some priorities for which things we need to focus on within a structured routine and then let other things go if they're not as important this year, right? Like right. we need to be, some, be flexible in thinking about where we wanna spend our time, where, what we wanna ask students to do with their time. Right. Uh, so that we're really prioritizing it. Yeah, and what I like hearing you say too is let's build in some routines or be flexible with our in giving our students options when we realize they need um, a break. Um, so bringing in, you know, music, bringing in brain breaks that maybe bring students down or like calm them down rather than only pep them up, right? Like I've seen a lot of teachers using yoga and music in ways, especially um, in classrooms that are so valuable that I think are giving children strategies. So helping them learn how to calm down or how to respond productively maybe to a traumatic a response, that traumatic response rather than, rather than just jumping to the immediate consequence that we might normally think of as, as common practice in, an, in a classroom in general. And I will say too, I mean, our experience is certainly more heavily in elementary, but where this I think is actually harder is in high school because our elementary classrooms and even middle school rooms to an extent where you have um, more concentrated time with a smaller group of people 
it's easier to build these, this idea of connection and predictability and even flexibility. High school teachers have a harder challenge, I guess, a more challenging reality in that the sheer number of students and the short amount of time that they have. So that's been on my mind too, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's true. And I think flexibility maybe looks different in high school too. Maybe it involves more giving students independent work that they can do at their own yeah. pace rather than having everything super structured. Um, so yeah, there, there might be, you know, different ways that that looks like right. in a high right. school setting for sure. Well, I really, I, I really, um, I think honed into on this idea of empowerment and it, it really did spark some thoughts for me as a researcher or someone who consumes especially pedagogy or research on pedagogy um, because of its connection in my mind um, to service-based learning. So um, it also reminds us, empowerment does as teachers to protect our students' identities and interests and to value students as, as people and learners and people who have had various equally valuable experiences of the world um, that we might not understand or even know the whole story of. And so I think that this piece reminded me that as teachers that we can and should continue to bring the real world into our classrooms and certainly in age appropriate ways. So I think, you know, not all of this can, especially with COVID, maybe can come into every um, elementary classroom, but in an appropriate ways to honor some of the sadness or some of the um, worry that, that we might face. And I think that's important just to be authentic with students in their assignments and assessments. But I will say too, and I, as I was thinking about this, I also think it's a big ask. So it's almost like saying to teachers, on top of all this other new, on top of all the other new things you're having to do right now, also figure out a way to empower your students in this really charged, traumatic time. So that's a good seems point. Heavy. It seems like a lot. Yeah, it does. It does. But I don't think it necessarily has to be. So yes, I agree that service learning and authentic real world type of um, topics can be empowering for students. I think that it also could be um, empowering to give students just other responsibilities, right? So you can empower them by making them feel a sense of mission. You can also empower them in little ways by giving them responsibilities, giving them ownership right. of their learning, letting them have just a sense of autonomy in general can be empowering. So it can be small ways or big ways. Yeah, I'm seeing that I think in classrooms, especially with choice that, that teachers are starting to give students and in independent work in this juggle, um, even in in-person in learning between direct instruction, independent work, direct instruction, independent work, blended learning, and having some choice in how students are able to navigate that as well. So I think that can also be empowering. I think also in our Catholic schools, we have the opportunity to pray for one another, right? And to bring that authentically, I think that's also empowering. When we honor our, our anxieties, right? We say that in mass, our worries, who we care about, our intentions, all of those things too, I think can be so valuable um, for kiddos. And that honors our, the whole person, right? Not just who our kiddos are as learners on paper. Right, excellent. Well, we've covered all the four priorities in terms of how they, um, how they impact learning and why they're important, especially from a trauma-informed perspective. Um, so do you wanna to move just to our takeaways at this point? Yeah, that sounds good to me. I think my first takeaway or my big takeaway that I'm going to continue to have conversations with my teachers about is this idea of 
connectivity in a meaningful way and maybe combining this idea of connectivity with predictability. So something that the article talked about is building in routines for social emotional learning. So um, I know the article talked about roses and thorns and my own kiddos, we, we do rose bud thorn. So something that is good, a bud is something that you're looking forward to in the near future, and a thorn is something um, that you're worried about or that's causing sadness for you, maybe. The other one we do at home is high-low buffalo, and something high, something low, and then just something you wanna just something you wanna tell us about. And I, so I think we have the opportunity as teachers to build those. Those are routines too, and we don't have to just say that predictability is not only the classroom structure, but it also should be predictability and routine, I think, for these, this space to kind of reflect individually and, and collectively if we want to, to the, um, with that lens of trauma and to, to the, the real world situations that our kiddos are going through. And I would be willing to bet that some of these are going to stay with us because they're just, they're also good practice, I feel like. So I think that's, that's interesting too. And I know so many of my high school teachers do this, things like Motivation Monday, right? And Gratitude Day and things like that, where we can bring those things in purposely um, to our students, just making time for that connection, making that routine too. That's great. How about you? Yeah, I think uh, as a teacher, one thing that struck me uh, was just in the beginning of the article before they got into the core priorities, they um, were talking about how many teachers really crave just like a set of universal strategies that you can use that will work with all learners. So yep. by taking a trauma-informed approach, it means that you do this or that. Right. Um, yeah. About like a decision tree. <laughs> right. And that doesn't always work. In fact, sometimes it backfires in the classroom. So I just appreciated the comment about how you have to really build relationships with your students, meet your students where they are. Uh, and the idea of kind of co-constructing strategies that work for you and for your students. So for me as a teacher, a general approach that I often use and what I encourage for other teachers is this idea of collaborative problem solving. Yes. So yeah, if a student is struggling with a behavior, instead of just saying, okay, I'm gonna give you a warning for this behavior, I like to take that kid out and, and talk one-on-one -on -one about, hey, look, this is what I'm noticing. What do you think would help this? What can we do? What kind of strategies can we find for you to cope with this behavior and how can we make this work and you know maybe invite them to think together with me about a secret hand signal I can give them right. that means something to them to trigger them to check their behavior and, and change what they're doing so that sort of approach seems very much in line with what this article is suggesting Absolutely. in terms of not a universal one-size-fits-all approach but right. rather a philosophy of thinking about strategies in this way. And it's also problem solving too. It's not simply just changing a behavior. It's actually, it seems to be to thinking about who, who the child is and, you know, their response, not necessarily just being, our response shouldn't necessarily just be punitive. We should, we should get to the bottom of it, the bottom of the problem. And I think that's, that's what you're articulating here. And that's, what I think, what the, the article was getting at too. Great. How about um, from a researcher perspective? Yes. What was your so this, this idea, because my, my brain is always in classrooms and teaching, especially in research, I'm, I am thinking a little bit about 
all the SEL work that's going on. So the social emotional learning. And I know that um, my own children are involved in small SEL groups weekly and sometimes biweekly. And I'm wondering if our teachers could benefit from this too. So what would it look like to have virtual SEL meetings for teachers? In the Alliance for Catholic Education, where you and I work, we could do this. We do do this. It's sort of built into our model with community life and community living. But I think that could be so powerful. We, we have the research on why it's powerful for children. So I wonder if we could also investigate whether or not it's powerful for, for teachers. So one thing as a researcher that I would love to do is to analyze some online learning platforms yeah. from teachers mm -hmm. to look for evidence of these four core priorities. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to just see how they're enacted in actual classrooms, particularly online classrooms right now. And then I think it would also be great to somehow get students' perspectives on how these components actually impact and help their learning. Yeah. So I think just in general, I just want to say that with the COVID pandemic, there are so many different opportunities for research on topics related to this that I think it's almost overwhelming and it's hard to think about where to, where to start. But this uh, idea of these four core priorities and how they actually do help in the situation, I think could be really interesting to look at. Yeah, I agree with you. I could, I could see um, how we could think about coding classroom data, especially having seen so many different approaches to virtual instruction and interaction between student and content and student and teacher. So that could be so, I think that could be so valuable um, because I don't think this is, you know, virtual instruction isn't going to go away ever altogether. So I think that could that be an interesting thing. So let's talk a little bit about the, our, our perspective as um, Catholic educators, um, maybe Catholic social teaching or pedagogy in general. I think I've shared this resource before. Um, it's from Look to Him and Be Radiant, which is a blogger. Um, but the reason why I love it is because it shares some wonderful resources on the works of mercy, both the corporal, corporal works of mercy and the spiritual works of mercy in language for children. And typically this is something we talk about during the Lenten season, but I think they're tangible ways um, for us to connect with our, our feelings and our, our heart to, and our faith to action. And I think this reminds me of um, the principles of empowerment and connectivity and bringing our, the work of our teachers and our children into conversation with what's going on in the world. So, you know, helping the homeless, feeding the hungry, praying for those who grieve, all of those are things that we can do as, as humans and as Catholics to, to, I guess, just be a part of the larger story that's going on right now. How about you? Great. We can link to that resource in the show notes. That sounds really useful. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I talked earlier about how Catholic school teachers do a really good job with the connection component. So I think that's mm -hmm. kind of top of mind for me when I think about this from a Catholic education lens. It's just the need for building a, a positive community of people in faith. Uh, I also think just in terms of the, the trauma-informed approach, it makes me think about the Catholic social teaching principle of the option for the poor and vulnerable. Right. Right. Yeah, because as Catholics, we really, we have an obligation to care for the most vulnerable and kids who have experienced trauma certainly fall into that category. So I think just being mindful of these core priorities we talked about and making simple changes to our teaching that can benefit those who need it Right. I think really essential. So um, I don't know. I'm looking forward to learning more about trauma-informed pedagogy and continuing to think about this because I do think it's important to consider that for our vulnerable students. 
And I think the, the cool part is that it aligns so well with so much of what we do um, in Catholic classrooms and in Catholic schools. So I think that's all we have for you today. Thanks for listening to, um, to us think about trauma-informed teaching. And like Monica said, we're going to link to um, the article here for you guys so that you can all go ahead and read that and hopefully talk about it with other teachers you know, uh, maybe those in your communities or in your schools. And we hope to talk with you again soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.